A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think we're alone now. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. I think we're alone now. The beating of my... Okay, hello. I didn't hear you come in. Maybe knock, huh? You, stealthy listener, have arrived nearly undetected at the underground headquarters of Deeply Human, the show about why you do what you do. I'm your host, Dessa. And I gotta say... You have picked quite the moment to home in on our encrypted signal and tunnel into the office. We are in the midst of an investigation into some of the most mystical, disorienting experiences a person can have. And the brain science that's involved might help explain big, important chunks of being human. Stuff like religion and creativity. So you'll forgive me if I have to gently tape you to your chair until we're finished. Security in the podcast sector has gotten pretty intense. Okay. Music is up. There we go. And we're off. This time on Deeply Human, we're heading into the science of perception to discover why we're so eager to find signs of life in our surroundings. Eager enough to see faces in the clouds or tweak out when the house creaks at night. Even when you're alone, why might you sometimes feel like someone's with you? To find out, we begin with a story beneath the surface of the ocean. I was diving in a cave known beautifully as the mermaid's lair. That's researcher Stephanie Schwaber, who studies the rock and microbiology of underwater caves known in the Bahamas as blue holes. In 1997, she took a life-changing dive. I swam in, and the water felt amazing. It was perfect temperature. When you go into these underwater caves, you have to lay down the guideline. If you don't have this guideline back out to the entrance, then you may not find your way back out, and you will die in the cave. Stephanie's a big deal, recognized around the world as a top diver, and her work is dangerous. Rob, my late husband, had died a few months before in a diving accident, and he and I had always worked in that cave. Stephanie describes Rob as the love of her life, and her grief was still very fresh. This was her first dive since his death. And the whole time she's in the cave, she's sort of subconsciously expecting him to swim along and check in, like he used to do when they dove together. And then I went with the main line further into the cave, quite pleased with what I had found. And then I turned my head to look for my guideline and realized that I had lost 
contact with it and also visual with it. And it all came together at me suddenly at once that, you know, Rob wasn't there to help me. And now I was in deep, deep trouble. I didn't know where it was and I was trying very hard. You know, at that moment you hear your heart beat in your ear. I mean, it literally is thumping like crazy. And I looked at my air supply. I had probably maybe 15 minutes left. And I think at that point, I became angry, really angry at myself for being so stupid. And then I got really angry at Rob for not being there. And then I heard something in my head that Rob always said to me. And I kind of thought it was kind of a cool phrase, except there. Believe you can, believe you can't, either way you're right. It was an interesting feeling because it was like he was there. Stephanie is one of many adventurers who've reported experiences like this. A feeling of presence during a moment of crisis. Sailors, prisoners of war, astronauts, and aviators in distress have made similar reports. To understand why all these people suddenly perceive a mysterious presence, and sometimes hear them too, we have to start with how we perceive our own bodies. So I, right now, am someone or something that is embodied. I occupy a volume of space that is my body. I have a sense of ownership about my body, my arms and leg, and indeed my entire body feels like my own. That man, in possession of his own arms and legs, is Anil Anantaswamy. He's a science journalist and a research fellow at MIT. And although I think I kept it pretty chill during our conversation, I've been a fan for a minute. When we think about where ourselves are really located, you know, we don't, even if it feels like our whole body is ours, our sense of consciousness doesn't seem like it's headquartered in our knees or in our hips. Where does the self live within the body? That center of awareness, it really resides in our heads. We, we have the sense that we are somewhere right behind our eyes, actually. And that, turns out, is also something that the brain works really hard to position the center of awareness in that place. But our brains are not foolproof, and sometimes that center of awareness gets displaced, which can make for an out-of-body experience. People will say that, oh, I'm observing myself lying on the bed, but I am somewhere near the ceiling. It's very clear now from experiments done in labs and from just the study of the brain that this is an illusion, that nothing actually leaves the body. But it's certainly the case that people definitely have this experience. They report it as being a very strong experience, a very strong sensation. Beneath the waterline of consciousness, our brains work really hard to create a smooth, consistent perception of the world and our place within it. Let's say you go for a solo jog. Well, your brain has to compensate for the bouncing of your visual field so that you don't get motion sick just piloting your own body through the park. And it's constantly integrating signals from the outside world, birdsong, a whiff of diesel exhaust, with signals coming from inside your body. I have to pee. 
my right knee is doing that clicking thing again. But sometimes these signals get miscategorized and signals from inside are perceived as coming from outside. And that can get really, really spooky. Like someone's knee is clicking. And if it's not mine, then whose? Someone else must be here. You know, it's like, I've accepted, I'm in trouble, I've screwed up, I'm probably gonna die. So back to Stephanie. She's lost, she's running out of air, and suddenly she gets this sense that she has company, that her late husband, Rob, is with her. I mean, I could hear his voice so clearly. I didn't feel alarmed, and when I kind of just settled down from that and I was almost accepting my situation, I looked up, and I saw what I thought was a little piece of line, a white line. It almost looks like the cables that you have your earpieces on. And it turned out to be the guideline, the main line. And I got on it, went out, and just remembered sitting there really so glad to see the yellow sunlight and saying, don't you ever do that again. Stephanie eventually launched a foundation in Rob's honor, and she actually still dives, which I think we can all agree makes her both a dedicated professional and tough as nails. Experiences like Stephanie's are rare. I'd never heard the term feeling of presence before, and maybe you hadn't either. But you probably have heard of the phantom limb phenomenon, where someone who's had a body part amputated still reports sensation in that missing arm or foot. Anil, a science journalist, he told me that a neuroscientist named Olaf Blanke explains the feeling of presence as... The full body complement of a phantom limb. So the way that you can experience a limb that doesn't exist, you can literally experience a body that doesn't exist. And this is kind of a disruption and aberration of the mapping mechanisms in the brain. The brain maintains a map of the body, its components and their positions in space, And in the case of Phantom Limb, this map hasn't been updated to reflect a new reality. In the case of Feeling of Presence, the map of the body is shifted outside of the body completely. Okay, now's the time to grab your special occasion clipboard because we are heading into the lab. And my duct-taped friend is going to get weird. We're about to speak to a senior scientist from the Laboratory of Cognitive Neuroscience at the Swiss Institute of Technology, a guy named Giulio Ronini. An experiment conducted at Giulio's lab was able to induce a feeling of presence by sending a little electrical current through a region of the brain that integrates sensory signals. If the patient was standing, the presence was felt as standing. And if the patient was sitting, the present was felt as sitting. So this is actually led to idea that uh, what was going on is really the misattribution of one's own signals. So there was basically the patient who was misattributing her own signals to the presence. So here's this idea again, that a feeling of presence can be caused by the brain miscategorizing internal bodily signals as external. Like, if it's not my body that I'm feeling, it must be another body nearby. For research types like Julio, the big question is, okay, how can you test that idea? You'd have to somehow confuse people into thinking that sensations coming from inside them were coming from outside, and then find out if any of them had a feeling of presence. 
But how do you confuse people about their own bodies in a lab? The answer here, as is so often the case with life's hard questions, is robots. Basically, we use a two robotic system, one in front of you that you were asked to operate with your hands, and then one on the back that was replicating the movements that you were performing with your hands. So I'm in your lab. I'm manipulating something with my hands, right? It's a joystick. It's a kind of a a fancy joystick. Okay, okay, okay. What is happening is that basically there is a robotic arm that is touching you according to the movement that you perform to the joystick that we just mentioned. Okay, so if I push the joystick forward, like I'm getting poked in the back. It's exactly that. It's real time. It's real time, exactly. And uh, you're going to be poking yourself. And when there is perfect synchrony between the two, you feel like you're actually poking yourself. Huh, okay. And that's normal. You know, you're in control of what you're doing. Everything is fine. Whereas if we add a delay between what you do and what you receive on the back, they start feeling there is actually somebody else doing this. On first listen, adding a delay into the system might seem like a small thing. Like, so what if I push forward on my joystick and there's a little lag before I get my poke in the back? Who's in a rush to get a poke in the back? But that lag is the detail on which the whole experiment hinges. Like, imagine you're walking alone at night. You pass under a street lamp, and you can see your shadow walking beside you. But then she misses a step, and now her footfalls land just a beat after yours. That little lag wouldn't feel negligible. It would be wet yourself distressing. And similarly, in Julio's lab, you'd have the sensation that this robot arm behind you is controlled by you in real time. It's a simple reflection of your movements, like a shadow. You are the only agent in command. Until that little lag. And then all of a sudden, it feels like maybe you're not entirely in control. So if not you, who? A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. About one third of Julio's research participants, unprompted, reported feeling a presence. What did they actually say? It was like, for instance, somebody said, oh, I feel like there was somebody behind me touching me. It was not me. Or he felt creepy. Oh, a guy said, oh, I felt like the, there was a monkey replicating <laughs> my movements on my back. But typically it was reported like uh, as if there was somebody watching them and then replicating what we're doing. Oh. And that it didn't feel like it was them doing it at all. Successfully inducing feeling of presence in this way can help explain how the phenomenon occurs outside the lab, too. 
Did anybody say ghost? Uh, no, they didn't say ghost, I think. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I have not really big experiences with, with ghosts, honestly. But <laughs> typically, you, you get touched by ghosts? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I don't know if you're supposed to get touched <laughs> by ghosts. <laughs> but my producer's okay. going, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, yeah. She, you see, so that that would make sense then. Yeah. Okay, okay. My, I'm, you know what? I'm sorry. <laughs> you were like, Dessa, uh, that's a breach of scientific protocol. Ghosts don't touch you. <laughs> Well, there you go. So, don't say you didn't learn anything from this rigorous science-based program. Someone who knows more than me about ghost do's and don'ts is Bruce Hood. He's the director of the Cognitive Development Center in the School of Psychological Science at Bristol University in the UK. And he wrote a book called Supersense that investigates why people believe in ghosts and in stuff like past lives and telepathy. Bruce explains that humans are designed to be sensitive to other social creatures. We're always scanning our environments for other animals like us. So one of the really interesting phenomena is that people see faces all over the place. And so we seem to have a face detecting system which just looks for a couple of eyes and anything that looks uh, like a mouth. So that leads to that really interesting phenomenon called pareidolia, where people see faces in the most weird and wonderful things like slices of pizza or, you know, a coffee stain or a water stain on a wall. What drew me into Bruce's writing was his fascinating explanation of hyperactive agency detection, a term I'd never heard before. What's hyperactive agency detection? Okay, so within the human brain, we have specialized systems for detecting other social animals. And we have, if you like, dedicated mechanisms for identifying others and their form and their shapes and their movements. And what's going on with a hypersensitive agency detector is that you're attributing or anthropomorphizing things which aren't alive. So you're actually overinterpreting things. Okay. And then once we categorize something as a living thing, yeah. what kind of assumptions do we make about it? Well, we, th- we see it as having goal-directed movement or intentions. Agency detection isn't something we're learning from our parents. Bruce thinks it's probably an innate faculty we've developed to keep us safe from threats. We have a perceptual system which is hypersensitive to the possibility of there being another being out there hiding in the trees or amongst the woods. And we think it's probably that sensitive because that's the way it evolved, because it was better to assume that there's a possible another agent hiding out there rather than just to ignore it. So your system's always biased to see these patterns and structures. Let's say you're a cave person sitting in the firelight beside your special someone on a romantic evening. You're interrupted by a nearby rustling of the high grass. Huh? And you don't know for sure if it's a lion or if it's just a breeze. Well, people who presume it's a lion grab a spear <gasps> and then find out it's just the wind are going to look dumb in front of their dates. Hmm. But people who presume it's just the wind continue making out and then find out it's a lion Uh-oh. are going to be eaten in front of their dates. So the idea here is that evolution would favor the folks with the hair trigger who readily perceive the presence of another agent. But again, our brains aren't foolproof. We're prone to false positives, to thinking someone's there even when we're alone. Our brains are always looking for patterns in the chaos. We see human faces in the knotted bark of a tree. We presume it must have been a footfall that snapped a twig. 
And that's partly because well, we can't really perceive randomness. Our brain always imposes a, a degree of structure and order. What? We can't? No, you can't. It's really tough. I mean, in talking to friends, I don't, you know, the kind of talk that you do after like two cocktails when you're solving <laughs> yeah. none of the world's problems, yeah. <laughs> but it was just like pattern junkies. Like yeah. we just gotta have it, you know, and we see it where there are patterns and we see it where there are none, well, right? You Signal know, and noise. If you're having a couple of cocktails, you'll see more patterns because of course what <laughs> happens there is you're deactivating the frontal lobe systems. So these are the areas of the front of the brain and that's how alcohol works as a depressant. It turns this off and then suddenly you see connections and you become more creative. And I'm writing off every bar tab on my taxes this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've done a lot of work mm -hmm. that investigates how hyperactive agency detection, among other things, might relate to our superstitions. Yeah. I wrote a book trying to give a scientific account for why people believe in the unbelievable. And at that time, there was a lot of talk about religion and how people are indoctrinated to believe in ghosts and spirits and stuff like that. And I was just trying to address the balance to say, well, actually, you don't have to be religious to sort of infer that there's all this agency in the world. I argued, actually, you know, people who are secular or even atheists mm -hmm. will have exactly the same sort of misconceptions and, and beliefs, which are tantamount to supernatural thinking. I'm generally a secular kind of gal, but I still cross all the fingers on both hands when I'm waiting for good news, and I sometimes knock on wood in business meetings. And I don't actually think those behaviors will change the outcome of events. I just feel better to do. Like, our habits of mind don't always neatly align with our carefully considered worldviews. So all I think religions have done is they've built upon our tendency to see structure and agency and essences and causality. All these things pre-existed religion. Our cave diver Stephanie seems to hold a pretty similar position. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in, uh, you know, ghosts or anything like that. But I do recognize that some of the things that we do experience certainly I mean, when we look at our ancestors of long ago that tried to explain lightning and thunder and things like that, you try to find a way to explain things, and that's perfectly normal. Bruce wagers that if you could start a human society from scratch, on an island somewhere, far removed from our existing traditions... My bet is they would soon come up with their own demons, their own gods, mm. and their own explanations of the world, which are equally the same sort of supernatural beliefs that we have in the case of conventional religion. So I think it's a natural consequence of the way that we have evolved systems to kind of respond to threats, to try and control the world around this, to see the whole being greater than the sum, as it were. Mm. All of these things, I think, are just part and parcel of the way we interpret the world. When I was tiny... My mom was the one to put me to bed. And she used to freak me out by doing this puppety thing with her right hand. It was just her bare hand, like rings and everything. But her long brown fingers and her thumb would be pointed at me like a beak. And she'd slowly advance this little creature towards me. And every night I swore I wasn't going to fall for it this time. But then she'd start doing the voice, which went, um... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and I couldn't help it. Like, all of my attention turned towards this hand because it was alive. It was getting closer to my face, and I can still remember the shape of her bunched fingertips, which seemed so clearly a snout with her thumb as the working jaw. And even now, when I look at my own hand in that position, the bedtime animal is resurrected at the end of my own wrist. We can be spooked by the features of our own design. 
even just sensing our own bodies. If something goes wrong and we can't differentiate what's happening inside from what's happening outside, the results aren't just distressing, they can feel paranormal. And even when our brains and bodies are humming along in working order, we look for signs of life so vigilantly that we perceive hidden agents in the rustling grass. We find faces in our snack foods. Even when we're alone, we see creatures everywhere. Friends, foes, gods, or even just fingers and thumbs. At our next team meeting, Deeply Human will be talking menopause. Why do both women and whales go through it? Deeply Human is a co-production of the BBC World Service and American Public Media with iHeartMedia. And it's hosted by me, Tessa. Okay, buddy, let's get you out of that chair, huh? Man, running through your own neighborhood with a microphone really freaks people out.